0: Again, he's got the ball, and he's going to dribble out the clock. 261 points combined as the Dallas Mavericks end the Raptors' three-game winning streak with a 136-125 victory.
1: Overall, I don't think we did good enough of uh, protecting the paint tonight. Uh, allowed them uh, way too many offensive rebounds. A uh, couple of plays that we missed a layup, that we missed wide open shots, that lead easy, easy points in transition on the other side, we just could not get enough to, to get to over, over over the hump there. To be honest with you, we, we had 34 assists tonight, but we don't feel like 34 assists. You know, I, I didn't really like our ball movement and energy that we had on offensive end as well. For a lot of this game,
0: we were kind of struggling um, with their style of of offense, especially in in the half court, and and we couldn't really get adjusted to it. So, uh, yeah, that hurt us. That
1: hurt you, and playing Luka Doncic on his birthday probably hurt you. This is the Fan Morning Show. Matt Marchese, Daniele Franceschi with you here. It is a 136-125 loss. Danielli's favorite thing about the sport <laughs> is that they could score two hundred or two hundred and sixty points and nobody bats an eye.
0: Well, did Eric Smith in that <laughs> intro sound enthused? <laughs> not really. Not. I mean, I, I mean, know par- Eric partially wants to because, see the Raptors win. I get it. Yeah, partially because I, of the loss. I get but. it, but deep down, he's also thinking, boy. I 261 is just an absurd number. It's crazy. Well,
1: what did we talk about yesterday? Again, the Dallas Mavericks, who they don't have a lot of great defenders on that team. And the Raptors.
0: Yeah, that's, who, that's being, that's being the gentle. Jeez. Gen- <laughs> uh, Very generous and gentle with that one. I,
1: I guess I, I guess I was a little bit more um, gentle with them than I was the Indiana Pacers. Although again, <laughs> either team, I mean, but like you said, this is kind of the epidemic in basketball that's, that's right it now. It's just what it is. Nobody wants to play defense because it's not fun.
0: You know Uh, what? Speaking of that, actually, before we actually talk about the game, and I'm glad this is finally starting to gain some steam among mainstream media, but I don't know if you saw this. Earlier this week, I think it was yesterday, two days ago, whatever it ended up being, ESPN actually did a bit of an investigative piece. It was Tim Bontemps and another of their NBA, uh, esteemed NBA writers who collaborated on this piece that sort of investigated what we're experiencing now, which is a scoring epidemic. And for the first time, on the record, we actually heard from somebody within the NBA, Joe Dumars, who was a part of the mm-hmm. Bad Boys Pistons teams and is, I think, the president for VP of basketball operations for the league now, who mentioned that they are actively reviewing this, that this is now a real conversation point and a topic of discussion amongst people within league offices, the commissioner, everything, and and the PA, where they are actually reviewing if scoring has gotten so far out of control that they need to... Make meaningful changes to the way the game is played stylistically to curb the scoring. But what? Do you, but what are you going to do if guys don't want to play defense? No, no, like I, that's my okay, thing. Okay, I've I've said here's the one easy, easy okay. rule change that will instantly change and like alter the way defense is played. The NBA is the only league in the world where the defensive three and the key rule exists. It doesn't exist anywhere else. It's the only league that has that rule. And they implemented it 20-odd years ago when scoring was at an all-time low because teams were actually playing defense. So to curb that, they decided, let's eliminate hand-checking. Let's add this fictitious ghost phantom rule, defensive three in the key, and then that's going to fix all of our defensive issues. And it did. It worked. Guess what? <laughs> the they, Scores went up. In, offense increased. But now we've got to go the opposite direction, and there's nothing wrong with it. Also, It will actually resemble more of what real basketball looks like. You'll watch a game, and then you can go watch your local high school game, or you can flip on a college game, and you'll be like, oh, wow. It actually looks like basketball. That's cute. That's fun. It's the one rule they can actually implement tomorrow, and will have an effect on the game. I love when you get fired up
1: like (laughs) this. This just makes my mind. Like, it's 6.04, and you... (laughs) Like I don't think you sleep. I think you just like it's you just consume sports all the time. I appreciate that. Wow, I appreciate you. that passion. Um, you know what? I, you know what? I don't. You know, speaking of passion, um, Luka Doncic is very passionate about complaining to officials. Oh, you think? Oh, oh, my, oh my and goodness. I know it's been well told about Luka and the officials, but last night felt like literally every time he touched the ball that he was complaining about something. How about when he was looking for a call when and I can't remember who it was that ran into him. And he didn't even run into him. He had the ball. Luca ran into
0: who do you remember who the I don't was? Was it was remember it who. It was. I know exactly the incident you're talking about. Cuz I tweeted about it right yes. after and then you commented on it. And I said it. I was thinking the exact same thing because that's my biggest gripe with him is he's such a whiner. Stop being a crybaby. Stop like, I hate that. And he's and he's such a good
1: player yes. that he doesn't need to do that. That's the thing that okay. I think is probably the most frustrating.
0: Can I tell you another great point of frustration for me yesterday? Of there, course. There was a, uh, an awesome play that drew the oohs and ahs from the people in the building. And you'll remember this. In the second quarter, it's probably part of all the different highlight packs you'll see today surfacing uh, across uh, social media and on television. He had that play where he drives into the lane and he pauses, pump fakes multiple times, fakes out the defense where he has like that epic ball fake. He traveled on that play. Do you know which one I'm talking about? I think so, yeah. It was in the second quarter, and and this thing – They don't it, call
1: traveling anymore. Not tra- on starters. You want to know why
0: he traveled? And it were, there was no mention of it once. He traveled because he changed his pivot foot while he's in the lane. You can't do that. That is not basketball. That's not basketball. He's a – it's, cr- it's just so frustrating to me because he is – so insanely good like there's there are things he does it, it, it's mind boggling how talented he is. Some of the passes he makes, like he's a, tr- he's an elite, elite playmaker. Never mind the scoring ability. In fact, he didn't shoot the ball all that well from three yesterday. He had one, I think he was one for eight from beyond the arc, but he did everything else really well. And it's his play. He still finished with 30. Oh no, it was a
1: 16 assists, 11,
0: board. 25th birthday, 11th, uh, triple double of the season. I mean, this guy is the first player to have a 30 point triple double on his birthday in NBA history. Um, and for good reason, he and Kyrie Irving together are this incredibly talented, gifted backcourt. They just don't play defense, and that's why they're never going to win. That's the reality of it. Also, you know you're a bad defensive player when your coach has to, in the middle of the second quarter, is deciding, okay, we got to abandon playing man-to-man for a few possessions. We're going to give you a bit of a breather. You're going to go play zone and stand and occupy a space. He doesn't even play the top of the zone, Maddie. He doesn't even play the top of the—he's a guard. He doesn't even play the top of the zone. He plays one of the bottoms. He's on the bottom to limit his movement even more.
1: Daniele Costanza, everybody.
0: <laughs> I lo- just oh. I do love how fired
1: up you get about teams playing defense specifically players. Um, because you're I mean, this kind of goes back to the beginning of the conversation that we had. It's just not, it's not fun to play defense. So these stars, a lot of these guys, like, why am I going to waste my energy playing defense when I get paid and I can win MVPs based on the offensive numbers that I put up? Nobody's winning. Nobody's winning MVP based on their defensive nope. metrics no, anymore. No, 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 It's nope. about your points per game, your assists per game. Are you, are you near all a the triple double? Stats, it's yeah. all counting stats. So it's not even about, it's about getting, it's about making more money. That's yeah. what it's about.
0: I will say it is a little bit criminal. It's starting to get criminal that he hasn't won an MVP for a guy that is a, as gifted as he is. He's, he's but you incredible. Know what, you know what part of the equation is there? A, there's a lot of other good players in the NBA. Sure. You've got a Jokic that actually contributes. On, contributes to, Well, he contribu- Defensively. No, no. He contributes to winning. Yeah. Their team wins. Yeah, that, and, that helps. And Dallas, you know, Luka arrived and immediately they, they improved they made a drastic drastic improvement in terms of win loss record instantly cuz that's a, he's he's a good player there's no question he's a generational talent but they haven't had the sustained success and they're a middling team in the western conference right now even though you look at them you're and you see how insanely insanely skilled both he and Kyrie are and you're thinking how is this team not a legitimate title contender but then you watch the fact that they gave up 125 points to the Raptors. That's, that's why, <laughs> that's why.
1: Yeah. They, they, they don't, there's no interest in play. And you talk about those two guys specifically. There's no interest in playing defense. You know what was shocking yesterday for me? I'm watching that game and I'm watch, Kyrie, Kyrie got hot.
0: Oh, yes at one did. point.
1: Like he, he looked really like, like old Kyrie at one point. And then I was like, <laughs> why does it feel to me? Like Kyrie Irving is like 35 years old. Yeah. Because it feels like he's been around. The, and I'm like, he's 31.
0: Is he only 31? Yeah. Is I, think he, he's 30, no, really? I think he's 32 th- this year. Uh, really?
1: Yeah. See, I got to exa- admit, I was. Exactly
0: little, my point. Uh, without looking at it, because I'm thinking, yeah, you know, I mean, Kyrie has been around the block. Kyrie is. Yeah, he's 31.
1: Wow. I think he's 32 this year. That's why. Right? Like I thought. Matty, that's why I feel like Kyrie's been in the league 25 years. Wow. I feel like he needs a lifetime achievement
0: award. I will probably go to my grave saying this, but I, he's the most skilled basketball player I've ever seen. Like he, there, there are things Ta- talent wise. So, I mean, no, no, there are things he does that nobody else in the league can do. He, There's, there, he's, he's got the best handle in the sport. He is the most creative finisher around the basket. Um, every you, if you watch him on a nightly basis, game in, game out, you'll see something that you maybe have never seen before in a basketball game. He's, he's remarkable. Like we've always known this about him, but we kind of forget it because we don't, necessarily see him now or he's not in the spotlight as much. Um because, you know, he's not a part of a big three or he's not playing for a marquee franchise in the traditional sense. I know Dallas is a big market. I get it. Um, but it actually even circles back to this one thought I even had about Luca yesterday watching the game was I I know and I and I was well aware that Luca is box office. He's a big attraction. Mm-hmm. But I still think I underestimated how big of an attraction he actually is. Yeah. Because you you see when certain visiting players come to Toronto, the type of reaction that they generate, like when Curry comes. Yeah. And we're gonna see Steph tomorrow. He's coming to Toronto with the Warriors. And there's gonna be a massive contingent of Curry fanatics that are gonna be there to watch pregame warm-up, to try and get his autograph, all these things. You know, KD, LeBron, the the, the usual suspects. Luca's right there. Like, like Lucas has got an insane following and people are really, really interested and and intrigued by what he does and how he plays. Credit to him, because I I knew he was big, but I didn't know it was that level of stardom in terms of just the universal appeal that he brings to the table.
1: Yeah, on the Kyrie thing, the guy that I, when we talk about, like, most talented, there's, especially because he was a a smaller guard, not super small, but smaller, uh, like, a little bit before your time, like, Allen Iverson, and you know who he is, obviously, but Allen Iverson was supremely talented. Mm Mm-hmm. Like what he did with some of those Sixers teams that were not very not good. good mm-hmm. It was very impressive. Um, okay, focusing on the game last night. Because we went, we went a while there talking about <laughs> Danielle getting mad at nobody playing defense. Um, was last night's issue just strictly a, a talent discrepancy for you? Because for the first half, I know that the Raptors gave up a lot of points. I actually thought the defensive effort was better. They were actually getting out on the perimeter, contesting shots. Like, I thought they did a good job. For sure. I also thought in the second half, especially down the stretch, I thought they were very hard done by with no foul calls. Like, they were not getting the and I know this happens in basketball, but they were not getting the same calls that Dallas was. Like a lot of ticky tack crap that they were calling on Luca because he complained because it's Luca because it's Luca. But but even other ones and I and I thought that the Raptors were not and this is not home rush. I think it's I, I I believe in what I saw. I believe that they were hard done by uh, on foul calls in the second half, which it was more so in the fourth quarter than in the third quarter when they probably needed it. Because let's mm-hmm. face it, the third quarter that was, was their, the, th- that was the game changer. Yes, Forty points no they question. gave up. They only scored twenty five. That was it. Yep. But going back to the original point, like, was it just a talent thing? Like when, when the other team has a star like that, well, two stars, if we're being honest, um, the Raptors don't have that same cachet on their side of the ball.
0: Three big differences in the game last night. One talent disparity. I, I totally agree. They had no answer, zero answer for how to guard Luca and they tried hard. It's not oh, it wasn't and for they a did. lack of trying. Oh, they were they tried and in the fourth quarter they started coming with early doubles towards Luca to get it out of his hands. But then you got to worry and deal with Kyrie who's able to create his own shot at any point and Luca's able to get the the most impressive thing cuz Luca is like deceptively crafty in how he he navigates his way around the court. He's not a guy that's going to be overly explosive. He's not quick. Like he doesn't have a great first step. Nobody's saying, "Oh my god, he's this explosive dynamic playmaker. Watch out when he gets a when he if he's able to get that quick first step on you." No, not at all. But what he does better than I think maybe any player in the league is his ability to get where and where he wants at any given time. Like he gets to every spot on the court at ease, with mm-hmm. ease. And it that was really impressive. They had no answer for those two guys. Secondly, you know what I thought was a big, big difference in that ball game? And it's a big difference. It's been a big difference for Dallas over the last couple of weeks since they made this trade or two trades ahead of the deadline. Dallas has got a real front court now. Like Dallas is 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 big, tough, mm-hmm. and deep in the front court. PJ Washington was really good for them yesterday. He's a guy that can stretch the floor. But then the guy that's been probably most impressive to me is Daniel Gafford. Like he was a handful yesterday for the Raptors, especially when we're talking about him playing against their second unit. Kelly Olenek could not, could not handle him whatsoever because that's a guy who is coming off the bench, plays with tremendous energy, has a high motor, constantly a force on the offensive and defensive glass. And he made, um, he was a huge difference maker. And on top of that, well, okay. When Pirtle's in the game, he's dealing with Derek lively. So I thought that was a a big big mismatch in t- for the Raptors. They struggled to match up with the front court depth of the Dallas Mavericks. And then third on my list, yesterday was more of a half court game. Mm-hmm. Monday they beat the Pacers. It was wide open, throttle fully open to the max, and we're running up and down, transition opportunities back and forth. Right yesterday, although Dallas scored one hundred and thirty six points, and even the Raptors scored a buck twenty five there weren't a ton of opportunities to get out and run. It was a lot of half-court offense, which makes sense in theory for Dallas because they're an isolation-heavy team. Why? Because they've got two incredible isolation players. So they would prefer to slow it down, throw the ball to one of those guys and say, okay, well, let's get a paint touch. Maybe that'll lead to an opportunity to hit an open shooter or score at the basket. We're going to get open threes. And so because of that, I thought the talent disparity, to circle back to my initial point that you raised, I think that's why it was so exaggerated yesterday and it was maybe more um, on display, more prominently on display because the Raptors didn't have an opportunity to do what they do well, which is get out and run and get early offense. That's where I thought the game was different for them compared to Monday night when they played the Pacers.
1: Yeah. And, and that was, well, it was mentioned in the the opening clip and I I don't remember who said it, but that's what they talked about, how they struggled with that half court offense. Yes. And it's just, you know, they just could not make the adjustment. Some of that is maturity. Some of that is talent. Some of that is also willingness, if we're being honest. Um, remember how I tell you and I tell all the listeners, don't drunk text here. Oh, do we this, get one? This one feels like a drunk text. And it's early. What do we got? It's 6.13 a.m. when we got this. Okay. Um, it's from Patrick in Brampton.
0: Patrick, good morning.
1: Um, It might be a good morning for him. based well, I'm going to say text. good morning, yeah. Uh, Luca and all these other guys like Kyrie Irving, they get most of their points from foul shots. That's all these guys are scoring. It's not that they are good players; they suck. Well, those two guys are Hall of Famers, and yesterday they had 14 combined free throws. Last time I checked, that's not a lot. Like Luca had nine. Yeah, Kyrie Irving had five.
0: Yeah, I respectfully, Patrick. I disagree. I thank you for chiming in, but I, I disagree. That,
1: I won't even say respectfully. You're way nicer than I am. No, I, think I, am. That's, I think that's a garbage take.
0: No, I'm going to say I, respectfully, yeah. I disagree.
1: Uh, You're not Italian enough.
0: <laughs> but but here's here's part of the reason they su- why. They suck? No, no. Here's, to go that far? Yeah, that's that's a little extreme. Jeez. But here's why I respectfully disagree. It's It's because... He's he's right in suggesting that they probably get the benefit of the whistle. They certainly do because of their the stature and the caliber of players that they are. But I mean, buddy, just just watch the game. (laughs) Watch the way they controlled and dominated the game.
1: You're literally talking about two of the most
0: talented players in NBA history. Yeah, in the history of the league. In the history, Kyrie Irving. I think he was on the 75th anniversary team. That was already a, a guy that was actively still playing and. And at that point, what, was relatively young. He was still in his late 20s at that point. Made the 75th anniversary. Top 75 players of all yeah. time. Pretty pretty crazy.
1: Just, just, like, I appreciate the text. Thank you. 590, 590, name and location. At least he gave his name and location. Yes, thank that, you, Patrick. That, that I will give you credit for, Patrick. Thanks. The take, <laughs> I will not give you credit for. Um, okay, so we we haven't really talked about what the Raptors did on their side of the ball. Like, I mean, it was a good night. Emmanuel quickly season high, 28 points. He he's had good. nine assists, five boards. Uh, RJ Barrett again, 26 points, six assists, five rebounds. Scotty, another double, double. I think that's what 12. How many straight games is that now?
0: I, it's I think it's five a, straight with a double, double, uh, I'm pretty fifth, sure. Fifth, even, straight, fifth yes. straight
1: with a double, double. Yeah.
0: Credit to Jeff as party. He yeah, threw it in our doc as well. I noticed that,
1: um, you know, I was, Yak had sixteen points yesterday. Yep. Seven boards, six assists. Like they got production. I mean, they scored one hundred and twenty-five well,
0: points. Somebody's got to score if you are putting up a buck twenty-five. Yeah, <laughs> uh, one
1: hundred and twenty-five points is nothing to scoff. I mean, it's still nothing to scoff at. Like one hundred twenty-five points, is a lot of points. Eh. Even in today's NBA, it's still, it's still, eh. it's, still a, it's still a good night. And sure. I. It's so hard to determine what this core group of players is when they're playing in games like this. And I know that the the evaluation will be, you know, at the end of this season and into next year, but you see glimpses of some really good players. Like, I, I think Emmanuel quickly, when I saw that deal, uh, on the outset, I was like, okay, like, you know, you gave up a good player, but okay, that's fine. And then, you, you know, you get to watch Emmanuel quickly a lot... More closely, RJ Barrett was. I think for the casual fan, RJ Barrett was the guy that, like, oh my god, they got RJ Barrett. But the maybe the bigger piece was Emmanuel quickly,
0: couldn't agree more. Uh, that's why I was super stoked when I saw that deal because he's Tyrese Maxi Light, yeah, that's what he is. And, And last
1: time I checked, he's a pretty good player,
0: exactly. Uh, one of the best guards in the NBA, and there's an opportunity for for Emmanuel quickly to potentially reach a similar ceiling. And that's why there have been, there was so much excitement and intrigue when they made that trade, because not just the fact that those two shared a backcourt at Kentucky, he and Maxie, but the the parallels are uncanny in terms of what they bring to the table. Their games are speed-driven, they shoot the ball well, and both had a need, or breaking into the NBA, there was room for improvement with their playmaking. And they've both shown that they've made strides in those areas. I still have like one of the questions I have lingering regarding the Raptors over this final stretch of games with 20 odd games here uh, before the end of the regular season revolves around Emmanuel quickly's ability or potentially lack thereof to be a long-term point guard. Like, is he a true point guard or not? Um, I think he's a valuable asset, but does he project as a guy that's going to be a starting point guard on an NBA championship caliber team, or even a team that's, Comfortably in a playoff position and is able to make a deep run in the postseason. That I think the jury still kind of remains is still out on if he's capable of reaching that ceiling. But overall, I'd be really encouraged. And you know what's funny, Matt? I noticed last night a lot, um, you know, on on Twitter, on X, a lot of people concerned about Scotty Barnes and what's been going on with his shooting woes as of late, mm-hmm. particularly from the perimeter. To me, it wasn't overly noticeable last night in the game because I thought he played. Really, really well. He
1: does like, a lot of other things really well. And I, I I, totally get what you're saying.
0: And I think that's actually a good lesson for if, if there's any young basketball player or a basketball parent out there that's listening. It's actually a really good lesson in general as to how you can still be a valuable contributor for your team when your shot isn't falling per se. Because he did so many other things well, and and I actually even wrote this down in my notes. I said I actually think beyond all the the offensive stuff that we talk about with Scotty and and how he's made strides in certain areas, and and we're hoping for even more growth. The attribute that I think is his best ability is the shot blocking presence that he brings. Yeah, because he can be a game wrecker when he is motivated and determined to be that type of player, that disruptive force defensively. But I think it's just a good lesson. And, I, and I'm not concerned about the the dip in three-point shooting. It's noticeable for sure. 0-5 last night, hasn't hit a three in his last three straight games. I get all that. But I wouldn't be overly concerned because he's still finding other ways to contribute.
1: Yeah. Uh, we got this text from DC in Halifax. Morning, fellas. Got to tell you, this constant blaming of refing by Toronto sports clubs is getting pretty tiresome. Have a great show. Um, well, I mean, not for anything, but I wasn't blaming the officials. I was just merely saying they were not getting the same calls that were called on the other end of the court. That's all I'm saying. Were were the officials the reason why the Raptors lost last night? No, no. The reason why they lost is they don't have Luka Doncic in the lineup. (laughs) (laughs) Plain and simple. The result would have been flipped. No question. That that is the, when you do not have that superstar or you don't have the guy playing second fiddle as a superstar. Yeah. That makes a big difference. Not, I'm just merely pointing out that it felt like a lot of the calls that Dallas was getting last night, the Raptors were not. That's what happens in the NBA.
0: The only thing, I'm, I, it's been like that for years. No question. The only thing you ask for when it comes to basketball and officiating, consistent whistle. That's all I want. Just consistency that's in any sport. Just if you're, you're going to call it one way, call it. The that's other. it. And if and if it's a bad whistle, just make sure it's consistent yeah. on both
1: ends. Okay, let's get to this trade here. So. Um, the guy who everyone thought was going to end up in Toronto mm-hmm. and then people started to realize, oh, all right, they don't have a second round pick. Uh, probably not going to make this one work. Well, it ends up being that Chris Tanev, the Toronto native heads to Dallas in exchange for a second round pick. Um, they also get uh, a prospect in Artem Grushnikov, who was a former second round pick in 2021. They also get a conditional third. The condition on that third is if the Dallas Stars make the Stanley Cup final, which is very possible because they are a very good team. And I tweeted last night, like, Toronto was not in a position to make this move for multiple reasons. One, they didn't have a second. But also, I believe, without any in- inside knowledge, that if they had to give up a second plus a prospect who is a former second-round pick themselves plus a conditional third, I don't think Toronto's interested in that type of deal. Here's the here's the scouting report that I got from somebody in the Stars organization last night on, on Artem Grishnikov. He's a big defenseman. So he plays hard, plays simple, pass-first defenseman that will block anything, uh, uses his size and physicality, and very dedicated to improving his game. Um, this person told me uh, one of the most dedicated people he's seen to improving his game at that age, like ever. And this guy's been around the NHL a long time. So that sounds to me like they traded... Chris Tanev in that deal, but just not, re- uh, just not ready Chris Tanev. I don't think Toronto was in the market to make that type of a deal. I really don't. And for Dallas and their perspective on it is this. For them to give up a second and a conditional third and a former second round pick prospect, doesn't bother them. Because when you look down the list at the guys that are under 25 years old that are making an impact on this team, you can talk about Jason Robertson. Mm-hmm. You can talk about Miro Heiskanen, uh, the starting goaltender, Jake Ottinger, yep. Thomas Harley, Um, Logan Stankoven, who's up with the big club now. Those are five guys. Wyatt Johnson, six guys that are under the age of 25 that are making an impact. So their window, this second-round pick doesn't necessarily matter because they've done such a great job of developing these players. They've become NHLers. They hit on their high draft picks. They don't need this pick. They are close to winning a Stanley Cup because they have some older guys. Tyler Sagan, I hate to say he's older because he's like, you know, 33, but he's older in terms of hockey terms. Sure. Jamie Ben, Jamie Ben, of course. Of yeah. course,
0: Joe Pavelski. Yeah, Ryan Suter oh, still Robe, on the
1: back end. Oh, is the other guy I didn't even mention of guys oh, yeah, that are yeah, under and, 25. And he deserves this to be This team too. is yeah. star-laden.
0: Yes. Pardon the pun. Yes.
1: But for them to make this deal makes way more sense than a team like Toronto to make that deal. And there was all this talk on my timeline last night about, well... You know, the hype was that they were going to get a first-round pick. So this is a failure on behalf of Craig Conroy. I'm like, are you kidding me? They got a second-round pick, plus if you want to call the prospects still a second-round pick. So two seconds and a conditional third for a 34- going to be 35-year-old defenseman that you're not re-signing. Sign me up. I think Craig Conroy made a great deal. I think that Jim Nill made a great deal. Both things can be true in a trade.
0: It's funny um, because my reaction was a little bit different. In the sense that I uh initially when I saw it, I was a bit underwhelmed because I think all the noise that we have heard over the last several weeks, months even, is that the Flames were going to try and hold out as long as possible to see if they could if they could persuade a team to give them a first round pick. But
1: but if they that's what they should be doing.
0: They, that's their job. They should try and hold out for course, a first round pick. Of course. But sometimes so why, so, that doesn't materialize. Yes, but the trade deadline's next Friday. It's not today. It wasn't yesterday.
1: Uh, I think I. You know what? I think teams are getting a little smarter about that. And uh, and Maybe. also and also,
0: Chris Tannehill plays physical
1: minutes. Physically, you know, with the way that he throws his body around, and physically because he puts his face in front of shots.
0: So you're part of that. Is why would you run the risk of having hundred play more games? So so wait a week, and then Craig
1: Conroy's going to get. He's going to get murdered for not making the trade before yeah. he got hurt. He can't win it's in that It's a chicken situation. and an
0: egg. I get it. It is. It's, hey, we're talking out of both sides of our mouths here in in, in that regard. I, I, I was a little bit surprised. Um, And seeing the price, I thought, ah, yeah, I mean, it feels like this is one where the Leafs could have found a way to potentially make it happen. But to your point, no second round pick, that doesn't help, obviously. In terms of the actual prospect, Grushnikov. so you actually went to a fully, completely reputable source. I went to my own nice, reputable tra-
1: Nice, tragically hip reference there, by the way. You didn't even know you made it. No, I didn't. What was it? Fully, completely. Okay. Anyway.
0: <laughs> you, and you, <laughs> you went to a reputable source. You have connections. Uh, I also went to my own reputable source, the one and only prospect guru, David Sis. <laughs> and I asked David, and I and I texted him. I said, "David, you got to tell me about this kid. I have no idea who he is." You he tell probably me. loved him. He loves every. Well, prospect. can I tell you what he yeah, said actually? Yeah. And I thought that's what I was going to get was, oh, great kid, love the guy. He's going to be great. He said, to be honest, he is probably doesn't profile as a top four defenseman in the NHL. He's also a guy that. If we ranked some of Dallas's top prospects, doesn't fall within the top five. So I asked him, okay. And he said also he's a more like his stats won't jump out at you. He is yeah, a, 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 a standard defense. He's not a number all guy. Good. Like he's not that. That's not the type of player he is. He's a guy that you're you're trying to look for as uh, somebody that's gonna be a defensive stalwart on your blue line. But what I did ask him then, my next question was, okay, David, well, what would be the Leafs equivalent? Right, like who would be that prospect in the Leaf system that might be on the, on par in terms of value? And I thought his answer was interesting. He named Miko kokonen I think it's kokonen. kokonen Yeah, right. So we're talking about a guy that's in that second tier of like prospect capital within your organization. And what have we been saying for weeks now? Well, if it comes down to trading Easton Cowan, Fraser Minton, Topi Niemela, maybe even you want to throw in there the first round pick. Don't do it. Maybe you got to have some restraint. Don't do it. But this is different, man. Like, this is a little bit different. That's a different tier, different level of prospect that we're talking about. And I don't know. It feels like a bit of a miss. So, to me, it signaled one of two things. Either Calgary didn't have an appetite to potentially make a deal with Toronto or the Leafs maybe weren't all that interested and they weren't able to or they weren't willing to pony up whatever they could possibly pony up because we know a second round pick wouldn't have been on the table this year, but finding a way to include enough draft capital retention, money retention, that they were taking on more money as well as prospects to make it work. Cause I think there's a, there was a deal there. It's not an overwhelmingly like outrageous asking price in return. We're not talking about like Adam Henrique getting traded for a first round pick, for example, which might happen if that happens, I'm saying whoever did it, You better be in a position where you have a ton of draft capital and a ton of prospects in your system, because that's not going to, he's a, he's a, he's a top nine forward. That's what he is. Third line center. center. Is it worth it? Maybe if you're winning the Stanley cup, but short of that, probably not Tanev. I still see value beyond just this year, even though he's 34 turning 35.
1: I just don't think the value is in Dallas. That's my thing. I don't think he's signing an extension. No, no,
0: I'm with, but even if he's a pure rental at that price, it certainly makes a whole ton of sense for Dallas, but it would have still made sense for the Leafs.
1: So would you have made a, a deal for a first-round
0: pick for Chris Tannen? No, I would not.
1: Well, that's what they had.
0: I would not have done that. So this is
1: what I'm saying. Like I'm not, the Leafs I would were not never, have done that. The Leafs were never in a position know, to make admit, this deal. I, off
0: the top of my head, I do not know what they have. They in don't their, have a, in they their, don't. Tre- uh What is it? The, tre- uh, the treasure chest of, of assets in terms of like – Draft picks beyond this year, they don't have three, they don't have their next three second round. Yeah, picks. That, that puts you in a terrible spot. Yeah, they, they're not they were yeah. never doing first that round deal. pick doesn't make sense. But you can't. I don't know. Could you not have thrown two prospects, second tier level prospects in there, and it might have worked? Like I, I don't I don't know that that's what Calgary wanted. I know I know. Craig Conroy and hearing him speak, he did he mentioned that he was very much enamored with with grushnikov and they were he sounds like a russian politician by the way he does artem grushnikov first off artem is not his real name by the way his first name it's it's an abbreviated version i can't even pronounce his full name
1: (laughs) i played against a lot of russian guys so that would make sense
0: it does make sense
1: all right we gotta take a break uh there was a couple things we didn't get to but uh we'll try and squeeze them in a little bit later maybe we'll have the the conversation the norm powell statue conversation with uh vivek (laughs) jacob what are you laughing at
0: Great text. Kyle in Paris, physical minutes. That's what I call it. When I go for all you can eat wings.
1: <laughs> Great text, Kyle. I play a lot of physical minutes if that's the case. Uh, <laughs> all right, we're going to take a break. When we come back, some Blue Jays talk. We're going to give you our ideal lineup. And you're probably not going to like mine. I actually I almost guarantee that you're not going to like mine. And we saw a bunch of major leaguers play uh, yesterday against the Rays. And the Jays won. Talk about that and more. Matt Marchese, Danielle, Franceschi, listening and the Fan Morning Show on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. Dive deep into Toronto sports and the NFL. The J.D. Bunkus podcast. Mm-hmm. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is fully completely.
0: Oh, okay. Wow, I learned something. Just keep hanging out with me. You'll learn a lot, pal. I would have been completely oblivious. (laughs) I had no idea. Yeah, this is a good good jam. It's a good tune, Josh, by the way. Nice job selecting it, but
1: yeah. You know, I thought about building you a playlist. I really did. No, no, because
0: I don't listen to music, so don't bother wasting your time. I think you would. No, I don't. I can assure you I won't. (laughs) No, don't waste your time, man. Yeah, don't. No, I'm, I'm telling you, I yeah. will not
1: I will not listen to your crap.
0: That's right.
1: <laughs> hey, you know what I appreciate about you? You're at least honest. Yeah, I try to be. It's a good way to operate. Best policy,
0: apparently. That's what I hear. Mm. That's what I've been told.
1: A lot of people lie. <laughs> Boy, do they ever. Uh the Toronto Blue Jays yesterday with a three-two win over the Tampa Bay Rays in spring training action. Uh, we got to see a very major league heavy. Lineup yesterday. Like Mm -hmm. a lot of guys that are going to play. That's that happens a lot when they play at home in Dunedin. Bogo's one for three. Vladdy one for two with a walk among some of the regulars that we saw get the start yesterday. We were expected to see George Springer, Kevin Kiermaier and Jose Barrios today. Here's the one question that I have before we give out our ideal lineup. Do you have the same kind of, I don't want to say weird feeling or, Cautiousness about maybe it is cautiousness about Jose Barrios because uh, you know we had Chai Devito on earlier this week and he just said you know when you look at the numbers like two years ago was the outlier and there were a lot Mm -hmm. of really there were a few really bad outings that that you know when you look at the numbers really spiked his ERA and his and his whip all that kind of stuff. Now, having said that, there were a lot of really good starts in there. The only thing was there was no in between. With Jose Barrios. <laughs> like yeah, there there's no literally was there was yeah. no middle ground. Bad or great. Yeah. That's it. Actually, it was horrible or great. We didn't see that last year. We saw consistency. We saw a guy really eat up innings for this, for especially to save the bullpen. He was really good. And when we talk about Jose Barrios in terms of confidence, like where if you were to rank your starters in terms of confidence right now, and this is assuming Alec Manoa's in your your top five right mm-hmm. now. How do you rank them one to five? I'm assuming Gosman is number one.
0: Yeah, it's a, it's a really good question. Actually. Um, Number one, Kevin Gosman, easy answer yeah, there. That's yeah. right. He's the ace of the staff and he better be, if they're going <laughs> to, they're paying him. Like yeah. It. And he better, he better be able to replicate it if they're going to, uh, if they're going to achieve anything this year. Number two would be Jose Barrios. Number three would okay. be Chris Bassett. Number four would be Kikuchi. And number five would be Manoa. because I think Manoa has got a ton to prove. And, as much as I'm willing to be patient right now and see how his spring progresses, uh, the last time we saw him on a big league mound didn't go very well. So he's he's definitely going to have to prove himself before we can definitively have any level of confidence in him pitching for the Blue Jays this year. That would be my five. How about you? How do you see it? I'm I'm kind of there with you. I I can
1: I can kind of quibble on Bassett and yeah and Barrios. Sure, that's really you're kind of like one with Gosman. You know, two A, two B with Bassett and Burrios. That's what it kind of feels like. They're, they're kind of in and around. You're going to get the same consistency. Like Bassett, you Bassett. I feel like I know what I'm going to well, get. See,
0: can I let, let me tell you why I have it? Yeah, I sure. have it arranged that way. Weirdly, and and I think this has to do with recency bias. Bassett seems like the obvious choice. But if you look over the course and the balance of his career, Maddie, last year was really the anomaly, not the anomaly, but he had a career season. Yeah. Like this is a guy that is known for yes, eating innings. He's known for that being very durable, but also he is a guy that will give up his fair share of, of runs and he's going to have an ERA that's hovering around four. that's always been his MO. The, what makes him valuable is the fact that he's able to pitch deep into games It's because he's got an assortment of pitches and he's not relying on velocity. That being said, in terms of actual ceiling, if Brios is able to be consistent, his ceiling on a start to start basis is way higher.
1: Yeah. I I would, I would agree with that. Um, The only thing is like, if you get the same type of performances as you did last year, you don't necessarily need that ceiling. You need the consistency. Because I feel like you say Kikuchi is going to have another big year.
0: I think he will be good too. I agree.
1: Free agent walk year, man.
0: Yeah. I have confidence in him to replicate it. And to me, that is kind
1: of best case scenario. Like I don't see a situation where you say Kikuchi is back with his team next season. No, no. He's going to probably price himself out of Toronto. They're going to, you know, Ricky Tiedemann hopefully is in that mix. You better hope.
0: Fingers crossed by next
1: year. yes. And so... You don't necessarily, so I think it's a win-win as like, you know, if we're talking in terms of the one-year rental, well, I think that, I think that you're, you're good with that. Um, Let's get to these lineups that we put together.
0: I'm excited about this, by the way.
1: We'll, we'll, we'll go one through nine. Yes. The obvious is, I think it's going to get interesting after, just like the draft, it gets interesting after one. Um, we both have George Springer at number one. Correct. That he's the locked-in leadoff guy. We expect to see him hit today. Um, I'm assuming he's going to be playing in the field as well. After that is where it's going to get interesting because I, I believe that you and I are both kind of on the same page with the guy that everyone expects to hit two is probably the guy who should be hitting a little bit further down in your lineup. So who do you have at number two?
0: Justin Turner is number two for me. Okay. So I have Justin Turner, DH, hitting in the two hole. He's got experience hitting second or third. That's where he spent the majority of he's made the majority of his appearances throughout his major league career. And if we look at production, it's been fairly steady and consistent in both of those spots. I also feel like, you know, Maddie, this is a guy who had an on base percentage of three, excuse me, three forty five last year. Which believe this or not, for a thirty eight year old Matt he would have been tied for second on the Jays and on-base percentage. He would have been tied with Vladdy for on-base percentage. The only guy with a higher OBP than Justin Turner on the Blue Jays roster last year was Brandon Belt, okay? Mm -hmm. So what that tells me, though, is we're going to get consistent professional at-bats from him, and he's going to do a good enough job of getting on base to set the table for— what should be your best run producers. That's why I think he would be a a solid, suitable option in the two-hole.
1: Okay, so this is where people will kill me. And I know the year he had last year, so relax. I'm merely making a point that this is what I believe is the ideal lineup if guys are performing. I think in an ideal world, you want Dalton Varsho hitting second. Left-handed bat gives you a little bit of balance at the top of the lineup. Here's the other thing. He's a really good base runner. He's a good base. He gives him. you a little bit of yep. speed that Justin Turner doesn't. Sure. And again, do I think this is going to happen? Does he get on base? Well, and this is and this <laughs> is and this is the point, right? So I'm. I, I, that's where I kind of quibbled with it a little bit because it's like, I think he's going to have a better year than he did last year. Yes. Historically, he's not a guy that necessarily gets on base a ton, which is what will hold him back. But I think that is what the blue Jays would have envisioned was him hitting up a little bit higher in the lineup because of that base running ability, because he does have a little bit of pop in his back because George Springer does a good job of getting on base. So that's where I, I really battled with it. I know that that's not what's going to happen, but I think in the ideal world, you know, there's been a, there's been so much talk about, you know, it's too right-handed heavy at the top of the lineup. Mm-hmm. He's the, he's the one guy that, you know, has, you know, can get on. I mean, he once he gets on base whenever that is, he does offer you some speed he's a really he's a very good base runner because there is a skill to that because we've seen a lot of bad base running with this baseball team, so that's where you know adding the left handed bat a little bit higher up in the lineup it just balances things out a little bit. I know it's not an ideal in the sense that he doesn't get on base as much as some of these other guys, but I also think that there's room for improvement here because not that he can't be any worse because I think he he played a lot better later on in the year like down the stretch he was we saw the power numbers this september was encouraging yeah and now people will say well you know the competition in september changes well it does i agree but at least it's a building block yeah, that you can bring were, into next season i don't know they're about, playing meaningful games yeah, it's that's not my the, point and but, they
0: played like for example their last week of the season if not if, correct me if i'm wrong on this but i know their last week of the season they they clinched by beating tampa so they had to play mm-hmm. tampa and then I think that was preceded by either series against the Red Sox and Yankees. I think it was, there was a stretch where it was all AL East teams for a bit. So it's not like they were playing cupcakes opponents, yeah, you know, they, yeah, they, they, they had to the go Pittsburgh out there Pirates. and win, yeah. right? And they're playing and they're trying to fight for their playoff lives. But there's still stakes involved
1: there. Yeah. I'm just saying like, there are some rosters that do not resemble yeah. major league rosters. It happens yeah. in September. But
0: I would say for the Blue Jays last year, that was not the case. In terms of who they played.
1: Yeah. I mean, the Yankees at the end were a little bit of a younger lineup. Still, do you recall
0: it, when they, they saw Garrett Cole and uh, Michael King? Yeah. And they got dominated? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, both guys were pretty darn good. Yeah. Yeah. What a weird Number three. I'm yeah. assuming
1: you've got the same guys. I think I mean. we
0: probably have the same one. Here. Vladdy? Yeah, v- yeah. Vladdy. Correct.
1: I, th- I think at that point, um, the interesting one is four. And and we both have the same guy. Because, we have the
0: same guy. Really? Because,
1: yeah. I think, I think so. Wow. Okay. I would hope so, because we haven't mentioned his name yet.
0: I thought this is where we were actually going to differ, but we're probably going to be on I've the same I've got Paul
1: Bichette so number do number four. Yes. But we talk about him being the best hitter on this team, and while you would like that guy to get more at bats, generally speaking, in that two-hole, he's a guy who's a run producer.
0: Correct. And
1: that is... A problem that they had last year was, okay, sometimes these guys get on base, but nobody can knock them in. Well, the guy who was getting on base was your number two hitter, and nobody could knock him in. Mm-hmm. And he's, again, he's the best hitter that they have on this team right now. And if the guys ahead of him can do their job, then I think that this team will be able to produce a little bit more runs. Also, um, I'm pretty sure Bo Bichette, even though he would like more at-bats, you know, we talk about counting stats and and for contracts and all that kind of stuff. I'm pretty sure Bo Bichette would like more opportunities to to knock some runs in as well.
0: Being a cleanup hitter is also just it's valuable ego from an ego standpoint. Like, sure it, it is. I mean, heck, you want to be a cleanup hitter, you want to be the guy that's tasked with being an elite run producer. The my thought process on the whole bow thing, and it's been about sim. I've had this similar train of thought for a couple years now. The Blue Jays are clearly devoid of a wealth of elite run producing bats. If Boba your best hitter and you went, and essentially now you didn't do nothing this offseason, but you didn't address the root of the problem, which is, well, we didn't go out and get two big power bats that can slide into the middle of the order. If you told me you went out and it was, whether it was Otani signing him in free agency, or you made a big trade, if it was a Soto whole different story, I'm fine with Bo hitting second, but you didn't do that. And all you did was sign a 39 year old Justin Turner, who I like that being said, he is 39. So for me, It's a no brainer to have your best overall hitter, logically speaking, hitting the most important position in your order, which is the cleanup spot. In theory, you're hoping those guys in front get on base, run producing opportunities, sit there. Gummy give you a lit and this is a small sample size but here is some evidence to support this. The Jays did in those final that final week of the regular season where they had to win games to clinch a playoff spot against Tampa. They made Bo hit cleanup. Mm-hmm. They they abandoned it in the playoffs. He hit cleanup three times during that week. He hit 539 and had two doubles with a pair of RBI in three games hitting cleanup. He's been throughout his career a good cleanup hitter. He's done it 76 times. He's hit 295, 11 homers, and 813 OPS. That's my cleanup hitter. Yeah. Give me Bo in the cleanup spot.
1: Yeah. I, I Listen, I, you're preaching to the choir here, Paul. I know you don't sing music, but you're preaching to the choir here. <laughs> um, Number five. This is where things are going to get a little bit different. I have Justin Turner at number five. Okay. And at that point, I think you could you could flip flop him and Varsho. In my opinion, because I, I think as you get a little bit further down the lineup is where guys start to slot in. Uh, who did you have at number five?
0: I flipped it. It was Dalton, Dalton. Varsho. So
1: we're we're and, kind of on the same
0: wavelength. And here. I think that is almost. By default, because... You have to
1: throw a lefty in there somewhere? You have to throw a
0: lefty. <laughs> it's crazy. What did we talk about last year coming into the season? The whole discourse surrounding the Jays' offense and their lineup was how they were more This was the buzzword. Balanced. Mm-hmm. Ah. They're balanced. The Zen. Yes. The Zen. They went out and they trade. They got rid of Teoscar and Lourdes because it was too right-handed heavy. So heavy, excuse me. So they went out and they got Brandon Belt, this wily veteran who knows how to take professional at bats, and which traded he, for this. Did. And no, and he was good. He was fine. And traded for this young. Um, very attractive, young prospect, good player with some pedigree and and coming off a really productive season and Dalton Varsho and he's good. They're going to be the solution. They're going to bring balance. Well, now I'm only penciling him in in the fivefold, to be honest, because you got to have some quote-unquote balance to your lineup and break up the the monotony of all these right-handed hitters so that's why I have him hitting fifth and I also think there's enough power upside to probably merit that
1: yeah I think that that is the case as well uh we'll kind of fly through these ones number six I think we got the same guy I would assume we have the same guy Alejandro Kirk
0: yeah the catchers I put one whoever Danny dancing yeah
1: I would agree with that uh I got Kevin Biggio hitting number seven same uh, IKF, Isaiah kiner Falefa yep. at number eight and Kevin Kiermaier number nine. Cause yes. he did a really good job in that spot last year. He was good. Yep. Had some good pop could hit the high fastball. Um,
0: hey, as he says, best nine hole hitter in baseball. <laughs> that's he prides himself on that. I actually, some hey, people call me the best nine hole golfer. And- <laughs> there you go. I, I let, I'm fine with it. I actually like the fact that the, if you can find a guy that's willing to embrace that role in that capacity and be comfortable in his own skin by all means. So, no question. It's funny. I thought our, we had we had a lot of similarities there.
1: We literally had the only difference that we had was two and five. And I, like I said, I think you could flip those anyway. I, I, the show thing, again, is just I think that's what they would like for him to get on base and have that base running ability where, you know, if a guy hits a double, you have a good chance of scoring. <laughs> or if a guy hits a single, you have a good chance of advancing <laughs> to third. Um, I don't know that you have that with Justin Turner all the time. But – Yes your your argument about him getting on base a little bit better is is of course valid because that's what you want out of your number 2 guy. But I'm I'm kind of not surprised that they're more in that they are as in line as they are because they don't have a lot of options. They don't like wh- who are you going to replace like outside of arelvis martinez you know coming up and having a great spring like he's i doubt he's making the
0: big the only other guy will hey hate to break it to you he's he's not not making it out of spring training no but he is the wild card long term throughout the balance of the season if he can end up being a factor and can insert himself into the equation then maybe you feel better about their offense and that changes the alignment in some way shape or form short of that or like them bringing back matt chapman it doesn't This is it. This is the
1: team. Here's the only guy that you could kind of throw into this mix, and we didn't mention him. And there is offensive upside there. He's got a problem with strikeouts. We saw it yesterday. I think he had three. Is Davis Schneider.
0: Sure. I I actually grouped him in with biggio because i think they they're will. more of a platoonish situation yeah. maybe.
1: And, and he's gonna and he is gonna play some left field
0: that's right yes as well yes they have been moonlighting him in left field and he's also got experience in the minors playing left field yeah so,
1: so i that's the one guy that i don't want to call him an x factor because i don't i don't think he's there but he has shown that he can give you something different he has a little bit more pop than so but well, what sorry, he that, has a lot well, that's the if you're stri- if you're striking he, out if you're striking out at a thirty three percent clip or forty four percent clip it doesn't matter,
0: right? Like, couldn't agree more. But is he hitting is he hitting two eighty with twenty homers or is he hitting two twenty with ten?
1: Yeah, he might be two twenty.
0: You with know what 10. I mean? Like that's the that is it's the, a negligible difference at the yeah. end there.
1: Uh, we got to take a break. When we come back, some Leafs talk. Uh, more reaction to the Chris Tannehill deal, how it affects the Toronto Maple Leafs and kind of where things are going. Uh, JP Ricciardi will join us in the next hour. He's got a new podcast. Uh, All that and more in the next hour. Matt Marchese, Daniele Franceschi. This is the Fan Morning Show on Sportsnet 590. The Fan.